In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our PaizoCon Online 2023 seminar coverage. Hello, Saturday morning crew. Welcome to the Primal Previews panel. Uh, we're going to be talking about a couple upcoming books from the rulebook line, uh, including Rage of Elements and Howl of the Wild. Uh, first, I'd like to introduce myself and the rest of this illustrious panel. I'm Logan Bonner. I'm the Pathfinder lead designer, kind of in charge of the Pathfinder rules in general. Uh, and I'm going to throw directly over here to James Case for the next introduction. Hi, everyone. I'm James Case. I'm senior designer at the Pathfinder rules and lore team. And I'm really excited to talk about these two books we have coming up. Hello, I'm Eleanor Farron. I am the senior designer on the Lost Omens line of the Rules and Lore team. And I am Michael Sayre, the design manager on the Rules and Lore team here. So uh, it's going to be exciting to get to tell you about all these cool things that my colleagues here have been cooking up for you. Yes. Uh, so the first book we're going to talk about is Rage of Elements. Uh, and this book, uh, we can show you the cover and I'll also show you a little bit of the physical books that I have here in a little bit. Uh, but this gorgeous Wayne Reynolds illustration features some of the uh, monsters of the plane of Earth as well as our iconic kineticist Dune. And uh, these are going to be some major features of this book because it is all about the elements. That includes using the elements as a kineticist or an elementalist or uh, putting elemental monsters in your game, visiting the elemental planes, getting elemental spells and magic items. It's chock full of fun stuff uh, to bring the big explosive power of fire and the, the uh, unpredictable air and all of the other cool elements into your game. Um, the major thing I think people are going to want to hear about from the player side uh, is that kineticist class, uh, which we play tested and got a bunch of cool feedback uh, and brought back fan favorite iconic character Yoon. Uh, so I think first we're going to talk some about kind of the, the mechanics of the class and kind of what you can expect if you want to play a kineticist. Um, so the kineticist is the master of the elements. Uh, rather than being a spellcaster, they use impulses, which are magical abilities that are tied to specific elements. Uh, here you can see the water impulses from the book. Uh, we'll leave this up here a little bit so everybody can read it really, really fast. Um, and these are kind of special actions that they get. They can use them at will, and they really get to specialize in a certain element. They don't have, you know, the once per day I get to fireball everybody. They have some cool fire stuff they can do all the time. Um, Mike, I'm going to throw it to you to talk a little bit about some of your work on the Kineticist. Uh, you know, there's, there's a fair amount of work from everybody on the uh, design team on these. Uh, but I want to get your take on what you think is cool about this class. Uh, so one of the things I really had a lot of fun uh, working on for the Kineticist was the composite impulses. You know, these are uh, new impulses. People didn't really get to see these during the playtest that combine multiple elements. Um, and, you know, for, for better or worse, Logan really let me go surprisingly wild on these. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, so there's some really fun stuff in here. The Ambush Bladderwort, which is a wood and water composite uh, blast that allows you to create basically a giant plant that encapsulates an enemy and then starts uh, drowning them. 
uh, the Whirling Grindstone, which combines metal and earth to create a spinning top uh, that, uh, you know, I, I feel like the title kind of says it, right? It is a Whirling Grindstone. <laughs> um, and, you know, just a lot of really fun stuff like that. So the, uh, the Kineticist can be a master of a single element, but also has this ability to kind of combine elements in ways that uh, I really tried to make as thematic and fun as possible. You know, a lightning rod impulse where you throw a piece of metal at an enemy and then it calls down a bolt of lightning. Uh, this is going to be one of those classes where I think everybody who touched it really just was like, what is the coolest thing I can do here? And page to page, every time I flip through this class, I'm like, oh, gosh, this is so cool. I can't wait to play this kind of kineticist. Oh, gosh, this is so cool. I can't wait to play this kind of kineticist. It, it feels like a class that I'm going to play a lot of versions of and still have things that I want to do with it that I haven't done yet uh, for quite some time to come. And I think yeah, that some of this also might come from, I know, Logan, how you kind of wanted to start this um, kind of design process all the way back into last year where was basically like, okay, everybody make whatever you want a kineticist to be. We'll kind of do an alpha play test. And so some of these abilities were literally Mike being like, I think this would be cool. And some of them were like, I want to be able to do this kind of thing. And so that's really kind of where we started with uh, what are cool elemental ideas. Yeah, we kind of synthesized those into the play test kineticist. And then after fan feedback on that one, we uh, kind of went back to it and were like, okay, how do we amp up the cool things and, and make it you know, kind of easier to play and clearer and how it works. Um, as Mike mentioned, there's the composite impulses. There's actually an, a spread of the book for each element, uh, and then one at the end for composite. So like this is the metal spread, uh, and then right next to it is the fire spread. Uh, and you can see there's also a very cool page border. I don't know if it'll show up on stream, but this is a really, uh, really gorgeous looking book too. Um, so if you want to get into an element, you're gonna have a whole bunch of options and you can combine elements. There's with six elements, there is just a huge amount of variety you can make for your character. You can say, I'm going to be all about water, or you can say, I'm going to try to get all six elements eventually in my, my character's uh, lifespan. Um, you have a lot of cool ways you can go with it. Yeah. Um, I see there's a person in the chat who's saying that they really just want to play a magma kineticist, and they might be really interested in composite uh, impulses like lava leap and molten wire, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's um, the the kind of the core structure of the class. We've talked about this some after the playtest. It changed a bit from the playtest. Uh, the main thing you're going to be doing is activating a kinetic aura, which is kind of just the elements are always flowing through you, coming from a kind of kinetic gate within you. Um, one of the things we really wanted to convey with this class is kind of what are the, the metaphysics of how this works? What is the story of you tapping into your elements? Um, there's a lot of help, uh, especially... Uh, we had uh, James and Mike activate anime mode to just kind of get like the, the cool theming out there and the cool names that are going to make it really feel evocative. Um, so your your kinetic aura is the first thing that you activate and you just kind of have flames around you all the time if you're a fire kineticist and that allows you to activate your impulses and kind of draw on elemental fire. Um, there's a really fun dynamic with this class uh, and it's going to be cool to see how it plays uh, with everybody else. Uh, any final thoughts on the kineticist before we start talking about some of the rest of the book? Um, I think uh, we could talk about Yoon a little bit. Uh, so we, yeah. So um, if we could go back to the slide uh, two, I believe, with Yoon. Yeah. So um, you know, each one of our classes, of course, has an iconic, uh, and this time we wanted to do 
something a little different. You know, time passes at the same rate in Galarian that it does in our real world. And so in first edition, our kineticist Yoon uh, was a young girl. And, you know, now it's been about 10 or so years. And so now uh, she's all grown up. She's been adventuring around uh, Tian Sha, and now she's found her way back to Huanga, <clears throat> and she's ready to start the new chapter of her story. And I, um, I really like this, uh, this art uh, that we got from Wayne. I know um, we were like, well, what says I have all the confidence of like a teenager, but also all the confidence of somebody who can blast elemental fire out of their hands? And so, you know, Eleanor, uh, you and I, we were looking at some of the art, and we were looking at you know like Korean street fashion, that kind of thing. Um, so I really like her. And part of this is also because um, we are expanding the elements with uh, wood and metal, uh, in part because to tie in with uh, the elements in Tiansha, which we're going into a little bit uh, next year. Um, so Eleanor, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I mean, part of the question, of course, is, well, why, do you, why does Tiansha know about the planes of wood and metal when nobody else seems to. And looking back through our setting, uh, the answer was, well, Qi, uh, no, Qi Zhong, um, the god of medicine and the elements, was the one who introduced that concept to Tian Sha. Uh, well, of course, then the question comes, well, why does he know about it? Um, so really, the... Rage of Elements book is connected to that entire continent in ways that just sort of run through most of the lore and flavor of it all. And just, you know, that connection that is still maintained, even though it was closed off, um, that uh, the Imperial Dragons still have, even if, even if the Sovereign Dragons cheat a little um, and have slowly crept back into the setting to manifest kind of into this book and so this book and the Tian Sha book that will be coming out will just sort of put together a bigger picture of both the elements and how they tie in to this entire continent that had very different philosophy than Avistan wound up having. Yeah I think yeah one of the things the we, kind of we do one of the things we do with the lore in this book is a lot of options are going to let you kind of choose your elemental philosophy. The main ones we go into detail on are the, the inner sea one, which is kind of the four uh, elements that have kind of traditionally appeared in Pathfinder. And then the uh, elemental cycle, which is uh, earth, fire, uh, metal, water, and wood. Uh, and a lot of options are going to let you kind of uh, dig deep into one of those. Yeah, I was just going to say, I really like the spread of the different philosophies uh, in the book, and it's something that really comes out, I think, once we start getting into the individual element sections. Yeah, and uh, we we brought on Yvonne Sao to do a lot of the work on kind of how we wanted to present the elements, what we wanted to do with the, the elemental planes, because we knew we wanted to go kind of beyond uh, those those four Greek elements. Um, and she had worked on the Imperial Dragon, so it was like, oh, we know somebody who is already like kind of put her, her, her stamp on this already and already has a lot of cool ideas on how to do with this. And she helped with a lot of the concepting of the new planes and how those philosophies were going to interact. Um, so one of the things we have in this book is a chapter about each element. Um, and the each one leads off with, with a really cool illustration of kind of a, a, a scene within that plane. Uh, so here you can see the start of the air chapter. And it begins with some lore kind of by an expert within the world talking about 
this uh, this place and some of the coolest bits of it. Um, so there's one of those for each plane, including the two new ones of uh, metal and wood, which is kind of brand new information uh, that uh, is going to have some some cool new adventuring possibilities that weren't possible in Pathfinder First Edition or previously in Second Edition. Um, the uh, each of these chapters has that lore section. It has some new spells, uh, quite a few of them for each element. Some new items, quite a few of those for each element, and then a pile of monsters tied to that element as well. Uh, I think I'm going to throw it back to Eleanor here to talk a little bit about uh, kind of how those elements are also going to be appearing uh, in the Tian Sha books we have coming up. Well, we're going to be building on uh, the concept of those elements in the character guide, and but also the the understanding of these creatures, real dragons, this cycle is going to be running through that setting book, especially with the real dragons being connected very strongly to that cycle. They're all chained to an element to the point where the sky dragons are so shadow, which I think may throw some people a loop. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the, yeah, we really get uh, into uh, the philosophies of that sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, we really took uh, took a lot of effort to kind of say like, okay, here's what the planes are like, but if you don't want to plane the planes and you just want to use this element, we wanted to kind of cover every uh, level of things. So this isn't just a planar book. It's going to give you a lot of stuff for using the element for your characters uh, and, you know, integrating into the rest of your game. Uh, I also wanted to mention, because I neglected to do so earlier, if anyone has questions uh, in the chat, uh, we are going to try to squeeze in some Q&A at the end if we have time, uh, but please kind of save those toward the end if we announce the Q&A segment uh, later on. Uh, James, I'm going to give you just a brief moment to talk about the section you worked on, which is the Plane of Water. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I um, So I wanted to write some lore for this book, and uh, I picked up the Plane of Water, which I think is a really cool place. You know, I basically spent all of my life in the ocean growing up. So I was like, yeah, the what would a world that's almost entirely underwater look like? Um, and that's both, you know, we have some places that were set up already. You know, we have uh, one of the cities is um, basically has towers that go up and are held within kind of an air bubble and some that uh, that's for the air breathing members of the city. And then it also has some that hang down into the water. So this kind of uh, this kind of like, well, how does it work if you, you know, I mean, barrier number one is uh, you have to be able to breathe water in most places, um, which was something we had from first edition. But uh, we also, I wanted to kind of look at some of the like dangers of the plane of water. And so there are things like um, leech lakes that are kind of uh, inspired by methane seeps where like um, the water gets even denser than normal water and nothing can live in there. And you just you look over and it's like, well, why are there a bunch of bones in this one section of the water? Uh, and why are all of these glittering magical treasures there that, uh, you know, still gripped in everyone's hands, that kind of thing. So I think it's going to be a, a fun area with, you know, kind of places that are a little more peaceful and places that are definitely you're going to want your high level elemental magic to uh, try and traverse. Yeah. Uh, so one other thing we have, we have a little bit of a, a teaser for one of the new elemental lords that appears in this book. Uh, we have the kind of deity entries for each elemental lord of both the, the eight established ones and then two new ones for metal and two new ones for wood. This is Verilorn, uh, also known as the custodian of oak and ash. Uh, 
<laughs> not Tom Bombadil and not uh, Treebeard from the Ralph Bakshi uh, Lord of the Rings either. Um, but, you know, if you want to role play him as such, you're certainly welcome to do so. So uh, Verilorn is kind of a, a lonely gardener um, uh, as a deity and has kind of a longstanding relationship with uh, Shimunoe, the other uh, deity of uh, the other elemental Lord of Wood. Um, the uh, the new ones, I think, are going to kind of provide some new stuff. The old ones were very dichotomous and like their relationships have changed as the new elemental planes have opened up. Um, but the new uh, lords, really, we had a lot of uh, fun possibilities with these, especially because they've been locked away for millennia upon millennia. Um, I'm going to go really quickly to one last kind of bit on this section, which is the uh, creatures and monsters that appear in this book. Uh, Mike, I'm going to throw it to you to talk about the one we see on the left there. Yeah, so that is the Avalanche Legion, and they are an Elemental Earth troop. Uh, this book actually has troops for every single one of the elements. So if you're looking for having that kind of uh, larger combat experience where you need hordes of elementals that are going to try and overrun your uh, players, those tools are in here. And these Avalanche Legions, uh, I think in particular, are going to be pretty fun for uh, literally overrunning the players. They have some abilities like trample into the earth and pummeling boulders. Uh, you can see they uh, are really just kind of, uh, they've got that lower body. They're like a rolling boulder, uh, you know, and I, I just think they're going to be a lot of fun for people. This uh, this book really takes uh, the kind of foundations of elementals that we created in the bestries and then just goes all the way forward with them, expanding and filling in all of the little gaps and places that, uh, you know, people are going to want to play in. A little uh, quiet there. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, Logan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm back. Uh, I was saying uh, we have uh, a whole suite of metal and wood elementals. Uh, so they have a comparable number of elementals to the, the original four. And we have a few new elementals for those, uh, those uh, original four elements as well. Um, one of the new metal creatures, which is not in the elemental section, but is still an elemental, as many of the things in this book are, is that image you saw on the right there, which I'm going to throw over to Eleanor to talk a little bit about. Yeah, that is the Capritelix Assuming I pronounced that right. Uh, that is it is now. Plane. You have established the official pronunciation right here. No, I don't <laughs> like doing that. Uh, so it is, like Logan said, it's from the Plane of Metal. And the Plane of Metal is actually very into decay. Uh, that metal is just sort of slowly and inexorably rusting and decaying over time. So it's kind of depressed, which is why I guess Logan threw it over to me to talk about. Um, but as, as you can see, it's it's kind of like a cross between a Rubik's Cube and one of those books where you make a different creature by flipping the three sections, because it has these expressions on each segment of its head, and it sort of rotates them to change moods. I'm, I'm also reminded of like the, the mayor from Nightmare Before Christmas, except with a whole <laughs> lot more of a permutation but you know it can it can rotate the eyes to be slightly angrier or more distressed or rotate the mouth if it wants to yell at you or just sort of like clam its lips um and it it's it just kind of hangs out and is very depressed and it of course shoots lasers out of its eyes because something that looks like that 
has to shoot lasers out of its eyes, and each of its hand is made of a different metal, so if it reaches over and slaps you, it can be like, well, that was the cold metal, ha- uh, cold iron hand. Uh, are you vulnerable to cold iron, perhaps? Uh, no? Let me try the silver hand. Uh, uh, I, I'm not sure you'd want to talk to them. I don't know if they'd be good company, but they are extremely cool. <laughs> They, they are a bit of wish fulfillment uh, for anybody who's depressed and wants to be able to shoot lasers out of their eyes, which I think is probably a pretty common sentiment. I mean, you know, it's going to make your day better for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I want to close out this discussion with one more monster, which is genies. Uh, so we've mentioned some that Rage of Elements is kind of the first book that is fully in sync with the remastered versions of the rules, uh, and it's going to be in sync with the Monster Core. And that means that we've done some major changes to genies uh, to kind of make them more of a Pathfinder-specific type of genie. And uh, Sharina Sharani came on as a consultant to work on those and to kind of come up with some really cool ideas uh, for their their new story uh, and how they work in our world. Uh, And that's in addition to the two brand new types of genies, the uh, Zura genies uh, mm-hmm. and uh, the Kizidhar genies for metal and wood. Um, so you're going to see uh, some brand new genies, uh, and the Monster Core is going to have their full write-ups for the base genies. But we also put uh, noble genies in uh, this book, or for the new genies we have both. So I'm going to very briefly uh, flash that the screen so people can take a bit of a look at that. That's the Zura genies, uh, kind of made of of uh you know flowing metal that's one of the other themes of metal is kind of that mercuriality uh if you'll pardon the pun uh and so you'll see some more on genies coming soon uh and we're going to do a core preview document uh when rage of elements comes out that is going to have some of the information that is going to appear in monster core and player core uh so last uh notes on rage of elements you can pick this book up uh this summer and there's also the special edition uh, with the leatherette cover and the gold stamping uh, that you can pick up. And I'm going to, I teased this briefly in yesterday's um, remaster panel, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and show the planar diagram that we've brought into this book. Uh, There's a labeled version on the inside, uh, but this kind of shows you how all the planes relate to one another. And it's kind of an updated uh, look from the first edition version of this, uh, this diagram. Uh, So look forward to that uh, and kind of uh, all the cool uh, elemental stuff coming for you this summer. That I think is about going to wrap it up for Rage of Elements. And we are going to move on to James to talk about Howl of the Wild, a recently announced book. Uh, So tell us how that got announced and some of the cool stuff that's coming in that one. Yeah, it was uh, kind of tough because we had to announce this panel before we had announced Howl of the Wild. So we had to play it a little coy there. Um, But yeah, Howl of the Wild is our most recently announced book. This is our latest creature book, focusing all about animals, beasts, and the natural world. And um, we announced this via a little bit of backstory into the book. Um, And basically, this is the search of a naturalist for these four mythical entities called the Wardens of the Wild. And all we really have of them are... Um, these little uh, records um, <clears throat> and that kind of thing. So we have the Warden of Peaks and Skies, the Warden of Oceans and Rivers, the Warden of Forests and Meadows, and the Warden of Caverns and Burrows. So these are each kind of a large creature that's 
stewards over one of the great biomes of Galarian. Uh, and we have uh, this book presented by a narrator named Baranthet. He is an Aruxi naturalist. Um, he's uh, somebody who maybe always was taken by these creatures, uh, but, you know, life got in the way. Uh, he finds himself kind of later in life. It's kind of a out of shape professor, uh, finally setting off on his first real grand adventure. Um, so he, you'll see him aboard this fantastic airship, the, Zo the Zoetrope, that was concepted in-house by Kent Hamilton. Fantastic design uh, that really kind of takes a lot of cues from uh, animals and that kind of thing. And with his crew of uh, six kind of eccentric crew members, they're going to go around the world and they're going to try and uh, go on this expedition. Um, so. I'm really excited about this book. Uh, each one of the crew members is very, is kind of has a lot of personality. Um, I really love Baranthet, who was written very wonderfully by Simone Sully, who's also one of the edit leads on this book. Um, and they're gonna go see a bunch of monsters. So, uh, I mean, it wouldn't be much of, uh, of a creature book without a lot of creatures. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, Logan, why don't I kick it to you for uh, the first one that we're gonna talk about? Sure. The uh, the first creature that we're going to talk about is the Hydra. Uh, there are a lot of pieces of this book that are kind of taking these classic monsters, uh, especially mythological monsters, and kind of doing an expansion and a new spin on it. Because, you know, uh, our crew is traveling the world and they're seeing all kinds of things that appear in weird remote places and uh, have strange powers. Uh, you can see this one kind of has a, a rainbow theme, uh, so you can start to make some guesses on what that might mean. Uh, but there are some other variant hydras in here uh, that you're going to find interesting. There's uh, there's one that uh, can eat star metals. Uh, if you're familiar with the setting, you'll know those are kind of weird super metals. Um, it's so it can get special abilities from, uh, from eating those. Uh, there's another that um, is... Uh, Currently called the the mocking chorus. I will note for all of this, like this book is still being uh, being worked on. So you know, any anything here is subject to change, as opposed to Rage of Elements, which is kind of you know set and and off to the printer and all that. Uh, but the the mocking chorus can kind of mimic creatures. Um, these also have a cool presentation uh, with some some of these monsters kind of getting some scientific illustrations. Uh, James, do you want to really quickly talk about that before we continue on with the other monsters? Uh, yeah. Um, so we really wanted to lean into this kind of idea of them on this expedition. You know, a lot of kind of the old Darwin illustrations um, kind of came into play there. I think we have one a little bit later uh, in the thing that we'll get to, but um, yeah, here we go. Uh, so this here is one of these illustrations. Um, one of the characters on the crew, uh, Triclea, she is the scribe and she's a minotaur. And so, you know, we have some of her illustrations and research notes. And I think this here is a cross section of a basilisk and, you know, how its petrification powers might come out of its eyes and that kind of thing. You'll see a lot of this for um, the monsters where we've given this kind of expanded treatment that gives a little bit of fiction, you know, uh, the crew got lost somewhere and they had this encounter with this type of creature. Um, in addition to the kind of monsters that we've written, you know, totally new for this book or gone back and expanded. Um, yeah, and you brought up the, so that's a couple of those. Yeah, uh, you brought up the Mocking Chorus, which I think is a good segue to our next creature, which is the Spellsong Lyrebird. 
Uh, Eleanor, do you want to talk about how birds can be even worse? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Actually, you know, the most horrifying thing about the Spillsong Lyrebird to me is that it's a grad student's failed thesis project because I know people in or who have been through grad school and the idea of it your final project turning into that much of a disaster <laughs> at right right when you're trying to graduate is just stomach turning but um so the spillsong wirebird is based on many of the birds in real life that can mimic sound very convincingly i mean i'm sure that people know parrots and mockingbirds um Ravens are also known to imitate speech, crows, minas, um, uh, the lyrebird, which some people have caught imitating the camera of the people who are taking pictures <laughs> of them. Uh, and in this case, a bunch of wizards, because of course it was wizards, wanted to create a familiar that could help them cast spells using speech. Um, unfortunately, they were either too successful or rushed it or something went horribly wrong. Uh, they did not take their prerequisite humanity courses and think through what they were doing. The spell song birds became able to cast spells independently and either fireballed their way out of captivity or charmed the grad students to get them out of the cage or any number of disasters got out into the wild and are now a hugely invasive species that can just sort of mimic a fireball spell that was cast by, that it overheard, and inadvertently explode you. <laughs> and of course, birds are actually pretty smart, and so some of them are probably going to vertently explode you over a french fry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the big inspirations with this book is just, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of this idea of, you know, animals are a relatively basic creature type. And you look around the real world and you can see animals that can mimic camera shutters or can emit electricity around their bodies. Like these are things that normal animals can do in real life. And so we just took those as the inspiration and then we uh, turned the fantasy dial up on them. I think that brings us to anyone, our last creature. I think anyone who uh, has Elena? played Quest for the Frozen Flame and encountered a moose should, should understand the, the power of, of real animals. Um, but yes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, as a native um, Mike, Alaskan, take us I have seen actual moose get in conflicts with F-150s <sighs> and just win, right? So, <laughs> yeah, but uh, a somewhat less obviously terrifying creature than the moose might be the starfish, which uh, ended up being the inspiration for the mammoth land star that you see depicted here. Uh, this is a truly horrifying monster that is capable of regrowing its limbs, uh, detaching them when, uh, things are going poorly, and also just straight up spitting its stomach out to swallow somebody and then digesting them while they're still alive. Uh, you know, pretty much your standard starfish, but just a lot bigger than normal. Uh, and, you know, a little... A little bit of the dire treatment there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And starfish are. I'm just saying, starfish are Hawaiian very carnivorous. Friend. Starfish are very carnivorous, and people forget that. Uh, and the only reason they don't eat us is because they're only about this big. <laughs> but I have been stung by animals, a starfish, you... and it's not a good time. <laughs> it's true of most animals, if you really want to think about it. <laughs>
Your but, chicken um, this... beat you if it could. <laughs> So this book has a lot of creatures in it, but this is, um, you know, this is one of our rule books and we want to give something for everyone. So in addition to a bunch of creatures that you can confront or befriend uh, and a bunch of, you know, uh, archetypes that allow you to kind of use that take inspiration from animals or the natural world, you know, some more items. We're also introducing uh, six new playable ancestries, uh, two of which we have uh, already announced. Um, each ancestry is going to be represented by a member of the crew, so that's kind of how you uh, you get to know them a little bit. And the first one we have here is the Minotaur, so I think we'll go uh, back to Mike a little bit here. This one. Yeah, uh, so uh, the Minotaur ancestry, uh, I'm sure people have been very excited uh, to see these enter the game. Uh, Dave Nelson did the initial design work on this, uh, and then um, Jason Keeley and I did a fair bit of the development uh, you know, to get one thing kind of right out of the gate here, they're large, right off the bat. Uh, you want to play a Minotaur, you're a level one character, good news, you're enormous, you know, you're a large creature, uh, you have uh, a lot of really cool benefits that will tie into that, they're very strong, they're very tough, uh, and, uh, you know, as a as a bit of a caveat to that, uh, if you don't want to play a large Minotaur, there are a variety of heritages. Uh, and the Little Horn Minotaur has all of the strength and toughness of your standard Minotaur, but it's medium. So if being large is something that maybe is not actually a benefit in the campaign you're going to be playing in, you have that option available to you. You can still have pretty much all of the uh, strength, power, and access to cool ancestry feats of any other Minotaur. Uh, but in a nice compact package. Um, the the feats for this uh, are, are so fun, honestly. The Minotaur has such a cool variety of different entertaining things it can do. A lot of stuff that leans into stonework, masonry, uh, really uh, evoking a lot of those uh, traditional mythologies and building on them in cool ways. Uh, you do, of course, have uh, things like labyrinth lore and other connections to uh, mazes and uh, abilities uh, that come into play. One of, I think, the really fun things with the Minotaur is they're very large, right? But they're also a, a kind of uh, frightening hunter uh, being in some stories and in some of the execution here. So there are things like alarming disappearance where the minotaur is huge it's imposing and then it just kind of disappears and when you successfully hide you're really terrified because you don't know where something that big just went uh, and if you are you know a player who's run into something like this that would be terrifying but if you were a player who is doing this that can be a really fun way to have something like a Minotaur Rogue, who is an unexpected but very, very effective and awesome creature to uh, to be so, piloting. So, Mike, if I'm understanding this correctly, you want to go look up the Vigilante archetype and uh, maybe take some inspiration from certain uh, certain famous men dressed as animals? <laughs> Perhaps so, <laughs> yeah. I really like uh, this, also, and I think... Uh... It, I think it has a lot of uh, nice little ties back to some very uh, kind of some of the Greek mythology. I know Dave really put his uh, classics background to work there. Yeah. Uh, one thing before we uh, move along to the uh, the next ancestry in here, we cannot let this pass without telling people that Minotaurs do have their very own 
friendly fling action for when your very large friend needs to fastball special an ally into position. <laughs> and with that, uh, Logan, why don't you... I have resisted the urge to segue. Logan, uh, why don't you talk about the other ancestry we have? All right, the other one we're going to talk about today uh, of the, the ones we're actually revealing is the centaur. Uh, the centaur uh, are kind of a nomadic people uh, who, you know, protect their lands, uh, who uh, trot about and uh, are very skilled with, as you can see here, uh, bows and lances and other uh, kind of traditional weapons of, of their centaur, uh, centaur culture. They uh, are also large because uh, they, you know, they got the body of a horse, right? Um, and they uh, they also can uh, become medium if you want to be maybe a little bit more of a little Sebastian vibe. You can uh, do kind of more of a pony type of centaur. Uh, but you could also have powerful hooves with your uh, your heritage choice, or you could have a mottled coat that makes it easier for you to sneak about in different environments. But you could also take something that is more tied to kind of their their magical side. Uh, because green speakers and faith speakers are important religious figures among centaurs. And so you can take the uh, budding speaker heritage to uh, kind of start on your magical path and then expand that with feats uh, along the line. They also have a lot of skill with herbalism. They have uh, strong cultures of mentorship and, uh, and competition that they can kind of tap into. Uh, so they're a really kind of well-rounded and interesting uh, ancestry who can also just get trample and just stomp over a lot of people. Um, so there's a lot of variety with these that uh, can let you play a pretty wide swath of characters. Yeah, so um, that's about all we're going to say on Hall of the Wild at the moment. Uh, the book's pretty early, but we wanted to give you all a chance to kind of see what we've been cooking up and what's coming, uh, what's coming down the line a bit later. Um, so yeah, uh, look forward to finding out about more stuff, more creatures, some more of the archetypes, and some more of the ancestries. And I think just to uh, tease some of the speculation on what's coming out there, I think I'll say that um, these are the two that we have that are primarily Greek, the rest are not. And I would say uh, one of them is totally brand new. So, yeah. uh, all right. With with that, I think we're going to switch over to Q and A uh, in a second here. Uh, I think we have a few questions loaded up, but this is also a great time to ask some. Uh, we're we've, we're fairly close to time, so we can probably fit in like maybe four or five questions. Uh, Mike, do you have uh, some some cool questions lined up? Yeah. Uh, so this one, I know that we uh, have an answer to, and uh, has been a point of consideration that James Case has been keeping in mind pretty much since we started concepting the centaurs. And that is, are there options so that allies can ride your centaur character and fight together? Yeah. Um, I think the idea of you know uh, centaur is derived from a horse. Um, so we already have some rules for if. Uh, for instance, like if a sprite, which is tiny, wants to ride on an ally's shoulder. And definitely, if you want to be a centaur and you want to uh, specialize in this, you will kind of have a way to make the idea of, you know, your halfling friend is sitting on your back shooting off arrows um, work a little bit easier for them because, you know, you are, uh, you know, you have trained uh, to not let them get in the way and to help be more effective as a team yeah. Um, another question here, and I will go ahead and answer this one uh, since I did a, a bit of work on the answer. Are there any barbarian options in Rage of Elements? 
Yes, there is an elemental barbarian instinct in Rage of Elements. Uh, and I will also say, uh, as a bit of a heads up to folks, there is no longer an Iron Druid archetype uh, in Rage of Elements because we just didn't need it anymore when the remaster happened. Uh, we were able to use that space to uh, give even more magical goodness. Uh, and we didn't need an archetype to give druids metal armor because we just gave that to all of the druids without requiring a class archetype. Yeah, a lot of opportunities opened up for them when uh, a whole plane of metal showed up. Like, oh, maybe we're <laughs> cool with this, actually. Maybe that's fine. Um, Logan, there's a question here about AoE impulses. Can uh, you say about that? Um, there's going to be a decent number of those. Uh, the uh, area of effects, multi-target stuff is one thing we have to be pretty careful about. Um, so there are going to be a fair number of them. You'll find with a lot of uh, kineticist abilities, um, because they aren't limited in how often they use them, a lot of them are going to be things that, you know, create a zone that they need to maintain or that, you know, have some ancillary effect. Uh, you, there aren't a whole lot of just like, oh, I'm going to explode everybody in this area and just do it round after round. Uh, there are certain elements that lean more into that play style. Um, and you're definitely going to have some options, uh, but you're also not going to be, you know, literally casting fireball. This is going to be a critical one that the whole group is probably <clears throat> going to have to weigh in on. So brace yourselves. This is this is a really, really good question. Uh, and I think we really need to give it some serious deliberation. And the question is, are Donde Leche great ancestry versatile heritage combo or best ancestry versatile heritage combo? <laughs> I'm going to go with great. You can't get the puppet in there, so we're just going to stick with great. It's just so hard to displace the Gord Leshy from my heart, so I'm going to go with great. That's fair. Uh, it um, seems like we got time for a couple more Mike, Mike, we didn't get an answer out of you. Oh, okay. <sighs> I'm going to, you know, I was going to I was gonna defer to the wisdom of the group there, but I have to say, it is really good, but having played a Dompier Leshy before, I don't know that I can call uh, Ardande Leshy the best uh, versatile heritage kind ancestry of, Kind of a blood orange kind of vibe. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, the, it's the Balkan watermelon vampires, which I'm not making up. Google it. Uh, I have a really easy question here. Um, Mike, you forgot the most terrifying thing about the starfish. Uh, question, what is the ecological niche for the starfish? Oh, well, I uh, we did call it the mammoth land star, right? So this isn't just something that is going to find you while you're swimming or uh, walking on the beach. No, it can it can find you just about anywhere you might be uh, <laughs> and it can and it can expel air from its tube feet to glide off the ground slightly so you'll never even hear it coming yes yes Over all of the terrifying <laughs> all of the terrifying power of godzilla combined with the stealthy movements of a rogue <laughs> is there any uh maybe one or two last quick ones we can get in here to um, and then after that, we will, you know, we'll be around for the con, and we might be able to answer a few more. But uh, see if we can get any last quick ones in here. I did see one wondering why, if Tiansha was connected, if we were going to explain why Tiansha doesn't consider air an element. Well, I mean, some of it does. Uh, just for the record, Minkai has the Greek elements plus void. Um, but in the case of mainland Tiansha. They they look at air and it's just like well it's it's air it's 
here's here's the air. It's do you see anything? I don't see anything. <laughs> um, it's it's just sort of they recognize it exists, but you know it's <laughs> what do you call this stuff? Uh, so yeah, all, all of the, the things all are, the philosophies are kind of where you put your emphasis and and your understanding of it, right? Because you know there are planes for all of these, but whether you consider the plane of air to be you know oh that's a plane with a discrete element. Or if you consider more of a transitional space between two things, there are a lot of kind of different ways they can they can slice that up. Like, um, I mean, keep in mind that the, the elemental plane of air just sort of wraps around the universe, and so from the point of view from a lot of people, it's just the sky. It's not. Yeah. You might go up there and there's be like, a, "Well, this isn't a different plane." <laughs> and and in fact, if great... you if you go, go back to the Mwangi Expanse, the dwarves made that same mistake and broke into the sky. It's just like, we're, we're just going up. <laughs> There's a great little bit uh, talking in the beginning about the elements kind of from a philosophical standpoint, and it talks about uh, other elemental philosophies. And uh, I'm just going to read a sentence here that I like, which is, goblin elementalism recently caught my eye as well, as their elements can seemingly be any eight to 10 nouns with a hierarchy based on the subjective necessity of said noun for an individual. More often than not, sleep, food, drinks, and fire end up being the most significant. I just love that. Yeah, <laughs> that's really good. Uh, Element of. I see a couple of kind of. I see a couple of like kineticist mechanical questions. I'll, I'll answer real quick. Uh, one is, uh, do they? How do uh, blasts work differently from the playtest? Um, I, I will note there is a, a playtest analysis blog that has a lot of this information. So if you really want to dig deep into some of the mechanical changes, I'd, I'd point you there on piso.com. Um, but in short, uh, the blasts use the same class DC as everything else. So now we have kind of an impulse attack roll uh, version of the stat that's kind of analogous to spell attack roll uh, that uses your constitution. And it kind of you know simplifies some things down for the kineticist. Uh, another question I see on here is, does the kineticist have healing ability? And that is going to depend on your choice of element. Uh, because the elements of uh, water and wood in particular have some focus on healing ability, and you can kind of go down that path if you want to. I think that's um, about all the time we have for this panel. Yeah, I will throw one last one out that people have uh, been asking for, and there's been some curiosity about, well, what if I want to deal cold damage or electricity damage? Uh, there is a versatile blasts feat that kineticists can take to expand the damage types their elements can do. So if you want to play uh, a wood kineticist who instead of just you know the piercing and uh, slashing damage of their wood can also deal poison, uh, or if you want to have a metal kineticist also be able to deal electricity. Those options do exist for people, and you do have the ability to tap into a, a broader array of damage types uh, than you saw during the playtest. So. There is also some elements have a choice built into Elemental Blast to start with. So like water can be uh, bludgeoning or cold. Uh, there are a couple other elements like that that are in the Elemental Blast in the Elemental Blast text that is probably blown out, but, you know, maybe somebody will catch that. <laughs> if not, they'll have to wait till, uh, Good till luck. later this Good year. Good luck. We're out of time, y'all. All right. Indeed we are. All right, well, thanks, everybody, for uh, joining us on this panel. Uh, let's do one quick glass go-round. Tell us where people can find you on social media or not find you, whichever you prefer. Uh, I am at Logan Bonner on Twitter. I'll mention that one. Uh, and then I will kick it over to James. I am James. My Twitter is in the overlay because I didn't 
plan things very well. And I will be around in the Discord all weekend, so have a good con, everyone. Hi, I'm Eleanor. Do not perceive me online. It's it's for the best for everyone. <laughs> and I'm Michael Sayre. You can find me at MichaelJSayre1 on Twitter. Uh, I also usually spend a re fair amount of time on the Pathfinder 2E subreddit, and uh, I'll be available on the Paizo Discord uh, through the weekend here. All right. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Uh, everybody enjoy the rest of your PaizoCon, and uh, we'll see you soon. Let us know when these books come out what you think of them. Bye, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this installment of the PaizoCon Online 2023 Seminar Coverage, brought to you by Paizo and the No Direction Network. For more great gaming podcasts, visit NoDirectionPodcast.com.